Hey folks, Scott Weingart here, and this is an episode of On Deeper Reflection. So the first episode we discussed getting things done, or in that episode, getting shit done. And since that episode, I've updated. Now, you're going to hear a huge time jump because we've republished these episodes. So I think it was at least two years between that first episode and the one you're hearing now, even though in the podcast feed, you will see they're only a month apart. So don't get scared by that. Um, I, I'm not that crazy with my productivity that I changed my entire system month to month. This is uh, at least two. It might even be more than that, years between. So with that understanding, let's jump right into the episode. Getting things done, or um, in the prior vernacular, getting shit done. But um, one of the things I'm going to be trying to do this year, for reasons I'll explain at some point, is to try not to curse as much on the podcast. So getting things done. Um, very popular uh, prior two episodes on that topic. The original and the uh, redo were linked in the show notes for this episode or this we. But uh, some quick things because things have changed for me pretty significantly over the past year. So let's go through it and uh, then I could hear your thoughts in the comments section. The first, and certainly the biggest change, is I have switched task managers. Formerly, I was using Nirvana HQ, um, which was still, to this day, a beautiful system. And then I was recommending for folks on the Mac, OmniFocus. Um, I switched over 2018 to Todoist. Uh, that's T-O-D-O-I-S-T. And I could not be happier. There's a huge switching cost when you uh, go from one to another. So you don't want to do this lightly. But I was feeling kind of uh, hemmed in by the development progress at Nirvana. They just never really were moving very quickly. It took them years to get an iPad app. And they had real no, they had no integration with some of the uh, automation stuff. Um, and uh, they just weren't doing it for me. And I had been thinking about switching for a while. And so I did a uh, exploration of the entire landscape of available systems. I wanted it to be cross-platform. I wanted the web to be uh, the main focus of their uh, work because uh, I, I'm using all different systems, PC, Mac, iOS. And uh, Todoist is just amazing. I love everything about it. It is fantastic. It is not expensive. It is beautiful. And it has everything I want. And uh, some of the things I didn't even know I wanted, like for instance, it integrates any dated task into your Google Calendar in a two-way fashion. So basically, uh, you get a new calendar on your GCal, you know, uh, you should already have multiple calendars. We could talk about that on another uh, episode of this Getting the Things Done series, uh, how to use a calendar properly. But so I have multiple calendars, and it just gives you one called Todoist, and all of your dated tasks appear there. And then if you add a task to that calendar on Google Calendar, it actually uh, is formed in Todoist. Uh, this if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you probably don't need it. But if you hear those words and you say, oh my God, that's amazing, uh, it is, it is, it is game changing. And that it's been flawless thus far. So that alone would have been worth a switch. Um, Todoist integrates with if then uh, that, which is a automation system and it integrates with Zapier and therefore lets me do all sorts of stuff automatically with my tasks. Um, there's a lot of iOS thinking that's gone into it to make it easy to get the tasks in without any real friction. Uh, 
I, I just can't recommend it highly enough. I am not receiving any money from Todoist. I am not an affiliate. I am simply a happy customer. So that's one big change. And if you want to hear more about that, just put in the comments. Um, next one is we've talked about projects in prior getting things done discussions. One of the things I started doing is um, I'm sure uh, most people listening have heard of Tony Robbins. He is a uh, inspirational speaker. He is uh, talks on all range of topics of uh, personal productivity and all that good stuff. And I've never, you know, really followed his work pretty extensively. But I came across something called the Massive Action Planning uh, Method, and uh, it's nothing that dissimilar from standard getting things done. I, I'll just go through the three parts of it, which is write down the results you want to achieve uh, as specifically as possible with quantitative values, if you can. Um, write down the purpose, why you want to do those things, and use emotion and trigger words to do it, and then develop a sequence of actions that are prioritized to get it done. Now, this is nothing new for getting things done. The difference and the cool thing was um, I've actually started putting those on the top of my projects, the projects that really matter, and uh, that is kind of inspirational. Then every time you go to that task to look at what still needs to be done, you're also seeing uh, what the endpoint looks like and uh, what the reasons why you want to get to that endpoint. And it's pretty cool. Um, it's not, I don't think it's a huge gain to what you would have had otherwise, just letting your subconscious fill that stuff in each time you went to the project. Um, but it, I think it's, it's got some power to it. I've been experimenting with it. I like it and I think I'm going to keep doing it. So there's that. Okay. The next major topic, in fact, if there was one theme to 2018, it is this. And the, the theme is inboxes are deadly. Now, we've spoken about inboxes on prior discussions of getting things done. Inboxes are where you put unprocessed actions or unprocessed stuff before you try to figure out what they are. And you should have as many as you need, but as few as you could get away from. Well, turns out uh, I had a bunch more than I could get away with because inboxes turned out to be the most painful thing going on my GTD system. And uh, let me explain why. Uh, in previous, I think in the first GTD episode, I recommended uh, Pocket, which would be a getpocket.com, a beautiful service, a read it later service. So if you come across something on the web and you're like, wow, this looks super interesting, but I don't have 20 minutes to read this uh, long form piece right now. Let me just put it in Pocket. And then when I'm ready to uh, look at something, I could just go back to Pocket and let, see what catches my fancy. Well, it turns out that was having a lot of mental drag because what would happen is I'd have 256 articles to be read in Pocket. And then every time I'd see that number, it would be like, oh crap, I gotta read all these articles. And it was taking something fun and making it a stress point. Now, you might not have this mindset. I'm a completionist. I want to read every article I save. But what I realized is there's a lot more articles I was saving than I would ever in this lifetime have time to read. And as a result, it was just too easy to make uh, burdens for my future self. And so I got rid of Pocket. I'm not using it anymore. And now what I do instead is everything is going to my email inbox. That is pretty much the only inbox I'm trying to use because I process my email inbox. And as a result, uh, when I'm thinking, huh, I, I want to read this article later, I'm just going to uh, save it for that 
the only place I could save it is a technique that will send it to my email inbox. And then I'm like, oh crap, I'm gonna see that three minutes from now. I'm gonna have to process that crap and decide, uh, do I wanna just leave it there as this huge psychic burden? You know what? I'm never gonna read this article and I don't send it. Or if it is something I still wanna send, the likelihood of me reading it uh, that night or the next day is far higher because I wanna get it the hell out of my email box as opposed to storing it in this hidden location in the form of Pocket or any of the other uh, read it later services. Um, and what I've realized is since I've started using my email inbox, I've been a lot more selective about what I actually decide needs to be saved or processed later on. And I'm more likely to just do stuff. I've tried to get rid of all of the other inboxes in the same way. And as a result, I'm trying to have services that will get anything into my email inbox, which, um, on iOS means I'm using a workflow uh, now called a Siri shortcut um, that anywhere uh, you could get a share screen. Uh, if you have any experience with iOS, you know what I mean. If you're on Android, you have no idea, but I'm sure there's something similar. But um, you could set up a shortcut that just emails everything to you, to your inbox with one click. So you go to the share sheet, you go to shortcuts, you press one button, and you don't have to fill in an email address. You never even see the actual composed message screen. It just sends it to you. And as a result, anything I want to save for later goes to the inbox. But like I say, uh, now there's a part of my head saying, do you really want to deal with this in your inbox? Or maybe it's not that important. Um, and then on Firefox, which is my browser of choice for my actual desktop or laptop, um, there's a service called Boomerang, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, which allows me to send anything in the web browser automatically to my inbox. And as a result, I just have one essential inbox for virtual stuff, and then I have papers on my desk. And I try to make that it because these inboxes are kicking my butt uh, until I stopped uh, using all these varieties of inboxes. All right, so that brings us to email and boomerang and inbox zero. Now, inbox zero often misunderstood that you need to have zero messages in your inbox on your email. That's not true. Uh, you should have zero unprocessed messages that you have to keep looking at to figure out what to do with it. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have a message. You know exactly what to do with it, but the time has not occurred where you can and as a result, you leave it there. But there's still a little bit of a psychic burden having all these messages sitting there that you might not use for two days because you know exactly what you want to do with the contents of that message, but it might not be possible to do it yet. And as a result, these services that allow you to make things disappear from your inbox, but then come back at a pre-specified time are kind of huge. Now you could abuse these, and I have, trust me, uh, by just saying, ah, I don't wanna deal with this crap right now, and then just uh, make it come back later, and then you find yourself hitting that come back in a week, you know, for three months running. Well, that's probably not good, and you gotta discipline yourself not to do that. But if there's something I can't deal with until the next Monday, um, why look at it for the next four days? I could just boomerang it out. Now, I could uh, just put that in my task system, but then, you know, there's, there's a burden to that too. Uh, you have to put it there. You have to keep checking it as opposed to it shows up on the actual day you could do it. And then you're, it's like, oh crap, I got to do this now. And I could actually make it happen because it's Monday and you just do it. So I think there's some power to you 
to that if you use it correctly. So the service I use, because it integrates with Gmail beautifully, is Boomerang. And there's some others out there. There's some called SaneBox and, uh, that I think works with Apple Mail. But I love Gmail. I'm uh, on the Google suite despite their privacy issues. And as a result, I use Boomerang. Now, if you like, I don't need that. I'm not sending messages back and forth to appear. But that's not the, the real game changer. The reason to pay for Boomerang, or I should say the reason I pay for Boomerang, is this... Um, bounce back if no reply function. So I could say uh, to any email I send, if they haven't replied in four days, reappear in my email box. This is life-changing because all of a sudden, now, uh, the people that never respond to an important email, and in the past, I'd have to like put in my task manager, follow up on the email I sent to uh, Bob and Gina, to f- because it's something I care about. They might not care about it at all, so they're just going to passively aggressively not reply. And I, so I'd have to put a waiting for um, in the task manager, and then I have to keep checking those. Instead, in, with just one click of a checkbox... All of a sudden now, if they don't reply in four days, and you could set it to whatever you want, you could say a week, whatever, it just bounces it back in my inbox and automatically cues me to say, hey, this was important enough for you to do this little checkbox, um, follow it up. And that is so amazingly potent. Um, If for nothing else, take a look at these services. And like I say, um, Boomerang is just one of them uh, just for that alone. All right. I, I guess the real last major topic I want to talk about is something I have started calling subconscious cognitive bandwidth. And I guess the best way to talk about this is in the form of an actual recent example, which is the MCRIT conference. Now, every year in New York City for the past, I think, 15 years, 14 years, uh, I've been doing a citywide or regional conference, uh, tons of time planning and executing, logistically tough, a uh, lot of uh, time sucked into this conference. And uh, in August of this year, well, I guess I'm lying, August of last year, uh, I, I went to Grand Rounds uh, at Sinai in New York City, and that's where I put this conference on uh, with the help of all the Sinai residents and faculty, and uh, we did a Grand Rounds, and I'm sitting at dinner, and I'm just like, folks, I'm not doing the conference this year. It's just it's just too much. And, you know, what I had realized, and I spoke about this on the uh, episode 2009, the GTD uh, Redux, where if you're not really conscious of it, the planning fallacy will tell you, ah, the conference is not such a big deal because you forget about how much time it really takes and you think it's a lot less. And I was not willing to make that mistake because I know exactly, because I've sketched it out um, with checklists and everything, I know exactly how long this conference takes. And I'm like, I'm not doing it uh, because uh, this kind of 2018, and I'm going to try to continue this in 2019, was the year of just saying no to everything because I realized uh, I keep saying yes, and um, then I have no creative space uh, or time to get stuff done. So I, I said, no, I'm not doing this conference. And everyone at the table, there was like 10 people there, including uh, my former chair, and they're all like, no, you got to do it, you got to do it. And the, uh, the conference chief, guy named Sam Khan stepped up. He's like, I'm going to do everything for this conference. You, you don't have to do a thing. Um, 
you just tell me what to do and I will get it done and let's do the conference because you don't have to really use up any time. And, you know, true to his word, I mean, Sam came through in this huge fashion. Now, there was still a lot of stuff I had to do, but I knew that going in. Um, You know, I I had to take care of all the ticketing and there was always these, uh, you know, logistical things like on the website and stuff that I had to do, but that was no problem. Sam really came through in every way he promised about all the stuff I anticipated he would do everything I'm like this is doable by him he did I mean this this dude was a monster and I realized that it was still the wrong decision even though the conference was amazing even though the huge amount of the workload was done by someone else and it's because of subconscious cognitive bandwidth now the only other place I had spoken about this concept is in the presentations episode, like how to do uh, presentations. And what I had said there is the positive side of subconscious cognitive bandwidth. And here's the deal. So you're given a presentation, and I advocated in that talk, if you haven't heard it, that you know four months, six months, whenever you find out you have a talk and you know what the topic is, just write down on the top of a piece of paper that topic and just brainstorm whatever comes to mind for like five minutes about the things you want to talk about. Spend no more time than that. And then stick that paper in a draw somewhere and don't think about it again for, you know, until it's like eight weeks out from the conference. Now, why do that? Well, you know, you spent five minutes and then you haven't thought about it for three months. Why is that important? And the reason is the second you do that, your brain starts working on it for you. You don't have to do a thing. Your brain starts processing. Oh, here's a good way to talk about that. Oh, here's a great story and example. And all that stuff starts percolating up with no action from you. The work is being done by your subconscious and you don't have to do a thing. That that talk is getting done in your head without you having to devote any actual conscious bandwidth to it. And that is amazing, so potent. So you're in the shower and all of a sudden, oh, I have a great idea about how I want to phrase this. And then if you're smart, you get out and you write it down immediately. Or if you're like me and you're a crazy person, you actually have waterproof notebooks and Sharpies directly adjacent to the shower. So you write that down right away and boom, your subconscious doing all the work. That's the positive side. The negative side that I realized from this MCRIC conference example is that even if you don't have to do anything in terms of actual work, you know, tracking down sponsors, what have you, your brain is going to continue processing that big event you've agreed to. And what the problem is, is it's to the exclusion of other things your subconscious could be working on. And for me, that means creativity. And what I realized is, you know, since August, I really was not producing the way I wanted to for MCRIT and the other stuff I'm working on because my brain subconsciously was just thinking about new ideas for the conference because that was the big thing coming up. And that's what my brain evaluated as a good use of that subconscious bandwidth. And that is something that must be considered when you're agreeing to do something. Even if there's no actual time you have to put in for an event up until the day of, you are still paying the price by mental space that could be used for other creative tasks. Now, if you have nothing creative in your life, then that subconscious may be wasted, maybe figuring out you know, the best way to get through Super Mario Kart, then by all means, don't worry about it. But if you're producing anything, 
That subconscious bandwidth is a scarce resource that needs to be preserved. All right, next small concept, uh, checklists. One thing that this conference planning really uh, drove home, and I've always known this and I've always tried to do it, is any task or project that's fiddly and infrequently done, that's the two uh, real key components of, of, of what I'm gonna say now, fiddly and not frequently done. And when I say not frequently, I mean uh, it's not done often enough that it becomes muscle memory. Write down the steps in the form of a checklist and put that aside on your computer somewhere. Your future self will thank you profusely. Everything, like for instance, I have to do accounting for a bunch of my businesses every year. And it is super fiddly, like how to get 1099 forms and all this. And yeah, I could figure out again, but each time I have to figure out the Novo is 4X the amount of time it would have taken if I just wrote down the steps. And these steps are not hard. They're totally obvious as you're doing them, but you have to figure them out one by one as opposed to having a checklist. Every conference I put on has extensive checklists on uh, you know, one month out, do this, uh, six weeks out, do this. Build checklists for everything in your life, no matter how stupid it seems, because you're like, oh, I'll, I'll never forget this. I promise you, you will forget the next year when you have to do that task. Make tasks for everything. Make tasks and checklist papers for every single thing you do that's fiddly and infrequently done. Okay, um, two more real quick. Uh, DRI. This is a Steve Jobs concept from Apple. And, you know, love him or hate him, he, he was an amazingly productive dude. Um, and DRI is the directly responsible person. It, it seems that Apple, I mean, this is what's said in the various blog posts about it, is any project had one person. And she or he would be the DRI. And that means they could farm off whatever piece of that task they want, but the buck stops with them. And there's just one person that you know is responsible for anything. And the reason I say this is there's been so much stuff over the past year where it's like, who's responsible for it? Oh, it's X, Y, and Z. You know, it's uh, these three people. That means no one's responsible. And the chance of it getting done or done well, markedly reduced. There should be one person for anything you want to get done, and then they could figure out who else they want to talk to things about or, uh, you know, farm out stuff to. All right, last one. Uh, the problem for future Homer. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you haven't seen that Simpsons episode, watch the video in the show notes. But um, there was a great piece actually on the blog that comes with Todoist on why we don't seem to give a crap about our future selves. And it turns out there's all of these cognitive underpinnings as to why we're not built to care about our future selves. Um, but it's super cool um, to, to read through and realize the traps you could fall into, why you agree to things like we talked about on that prior GTD episode, where it's just like, you know, if you ask me tomorrow, do I want to take a trip to China and give grand rounds? I'm like, hell no. I got like a thousand things to do and I don't want to leave my son. Um, but if you ask me, you know, a half year from now, you want to go to China and give grand rounds? I'm like, hell yeah, I've always wanted to go to China. That sounds amazing. Except when it's one day out, six months from now, I'm going to be just as I am now. I'm going to be like, oh God, why did I agree to this? So um, this, this article actually gives you the reasons why. I think it was pretty cool. All right, I'm going to leave it there. This was supposed to be a we, but it basically turned into a longer than normal full episode. But hopefully you got something out of this. I'd love to hear what you think. Scott Weingart saying bye-bye.
Hey there on Deeper Reflection listeners. Before I disappear, in addition to podcasting, I am a physician and clinician performance coach. And that means I work with clients to deal with issues of burnout, to deal with issues of not being as happy as they'd like at their job, but also on the positive side. I work with people that are already performing at an amazing level, but they want to increase their productivity, their performance, their joy in life, their what we call eudaimonia, their flourishing. And so from all these different bents in a wide variety of possible situations, uh, I could work with you to make your life better. If that sounds interesting, if that sounds appealing, if it sounds like something that would make your life better, both in your job and outside it, then get in touch at mcrit.org slash coach. That's E-M-C-R-I-T dot org slash coach. And that'll take you to the page where you'll see all the variety of coaching that I offer and how to take the next step to make your life better. So mcrit, E-M-C-R-I-T dot org slash coach. Bye. Bye.